I'm very excited to bring you today's guest, Yarun Kortout, co-founder of Salesflare. Now, Yarun does not have a BDR or an account executive or other sales contributor title, but that said, in his role as co-founder, he spends much of his time nurturing prospects, building relationships, and ultimately closing deals with new customers. So I wanted to bring him on the podcast because I think he has some very interesting insights into a couple of different things. One, managing time and efficiency as a seller, how to improve your own craft, how to transition out of another career field into software selling, and ultimately how to be more productive, how to build trust with your prospects, and how to be a consultant in the deal cycle. So with that said, welcome Jeroen to the podcast. Well, Yeroon, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for, for coming on today. Yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Well, we usually start off, I, I want to hear a little bit about your background. I was looking at your LinkedIn this morning, and it looks like you actually started out more in the, the engineering world and the product side of things. Uh, but I understand now you're, you're doing a lot of sales since you're the CEO uh, of Salesflare. Tell us about uh, how you got started, and then maybe share a little bit about how you thought to start Salesflare. Yeah. Yeah, actually, um, I'm indeed more of a, I like building stuff, um, but I like building stuff for people. And I think that, that that first started really when I was, I mean, building always, like when I was a kid, I would always build kind of stuff. But for people, when I was 15, 16 or so, I, I discovered the, the joy of building websites. Um, and my dream was very quickly to uh, start an agency. It seemed exciting to, to keep doing yeah. that for people. Uh, and that's actually uh, well. Engineering was was always was always uh, on my mind. My I think my dad uh, sort of made sure of that. Uh, he's a, a hardcore engineer himself. Oh, right. um, but at that point, I thought I was going to do software engineering. You know, with my dream of doing stuff with the website, it seemed logical. I didn't end up doing that because it's in the end, it just seemed a bit boring. Um, the people that were doing it looked quite nerdy and. I remember even on the open day of university, what they were displaying wasn't necessarily too interesting. Um, so I ended up doing electronical engineering with okay. a minor in business management um, because that always interested me. And, um, and then I went into biomedical engineering after that in my master's because it just seemed more meaningful and, and I could learn extra stuff, not just engineering things, but also medical things. Nice. It's very interesting. But then I went, when I went applying for jobs, um, people were just offering me this sort of engineering jobs where, where I wouldn't be able to work with customers. I would be sitting in a back room and somebody else would, would have the conversation with customers. And that just didn't uh, appeal to me. So after a few of these conversations, I just decided like, this is enough. Uh, I'm going to apply to business school. And it's true business school that I then... Um, actually ended up directly in a marketing job. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to start a company and I thought, what is the best way to learn how to put a product in the market and all that? It's to do marketing, right? And I was I, I, I studied biomedical engineering. So I thought medical makes the most sense. Sure. So I went to do marketing in a pharma company, which wasn't at all what I expected. Uh, <laughs> Uh, after after like spending months to to get a very specific job, I figured out that it was uh, horribly boring and limited, and I didn't have a say in almost anything. Um, so 
I then shifted gears, let's say. And mm -hmm. about eight months later, I found another job. And that was actually because I was, I was, I was thinking again, like I want to start something and the trying all kinds of startup ideas. But one, one of them that was in front of me was, um, was uh, helping pharma companies with their uh, websites and all, because I discovered right. they were really bad at it. I was working in a pharma company and, and, and everybody was coming to me when they wanted to launch a website because nobody knew how it worked. Mm -hmm. And um, then I had dinner with a guy. He actually had a company that helped pharma companies uh, with this kind of stuff. So I ended up joining them. Um, and I worked there for four years helping uh, pharma companies and biotech companies mainly um, with digitalizing their marketing sales and CRM and all that. Um, after a while, I went uh, part-time because, again, I wanted to start my own company. Um, I tried a few startups, a few projects, let's say. I don't think any of them really uh, is worthy to be called a startup even. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the one thing after the other and, and actually Salesforce grew from, I, I had met my co-founder when working on one startup. Uh, I met him in the Founder Institute. Mm -hmm. And one day he calls and he says, uh, do you want to go to Vegas with me? Because we we're going to this conference and we still need a sales guy. And I was like, sure, why not? Um, and um, that was a big success. So we, we got a lot of leads for his company. It was a, a business intelligence software company. All right. And nice. from there, we started collaborating. And at some point when we were following up all these leads, we, we just thought there must be a better way because right. we were... We would try all kinds of systems and nothing worked for us. It would always sort of fall apart. We would forget to input some data here, here or there and we would lose the overview and our follow-up would, would start uh, sucking. We would contact the same people again about something or mm -hmm. forget that we said something. Or um, And then at some point we figured that the data input that we needed to do in these systems was actually really weird in the sense that the data already existed in our mailbox or in our calendar or in our mm -hmm. phone or, or in some company database or in their email signature or whatever um, in different places. And if we could just pull that information together for us, like automatically, um, organize it almost fully uh, with a bit of manipulation, like call it curation needed, then we could make all this so much more efficient and uh, I remember one of the first slides I made was, um, was you know, this uh, how, how Salesforce has software and they put a, a like a, they, they cross it through, right. they strike yeah, it through. The whole campaign they did, yep. Yeah, we had that with CRM because we were like, CRM <laughs> is dead. It's for management. It's not for salespeople. It doesn't help us. Uh, we're going to stop it. And we, we uh, thought, thought we were launching a, a sales platform that would actually help you sell. 
That's really interesting. So I, I want to come back a little bit in just a little bit to your transition from being on the technical side to suddenly being thrust into a role where you're you're going out and actually trying to sell a solution. But before I get to that, I wanted to ask, so there's there's obviously so many CRMs and tools out there for, for reps and for, for management also. Uh, tell us a bit about you know, what, what are some of the big differentiators in using a platform like Salesflare as opposed to, uh, you know, one of the other kind of CRM systems out there? Uh, maybe a couple of the, the differentiators or, or value points that make you guys unique in comparison. Yeah. So um, a lot of our medium-sized or, or larger customers, they, they compare it with Salesforce. There it's, it's very stark, the difference. So I don't really need to explain it even like people hate Salesforce it's slow yeah. it doesn't help them and you know it's like they see Salesforce and it's like ah. and it's a it's a there there isn't much convincing needed uh, sure. if you compare rather like the, the smaller companies usually compares with uh, with Pipedrive or HubSpot mm-hmm. um, there it's more in the use that you will uh, that you will notice in the sense that Salesflare like if you look at a feature by feature basis, it's like, oh, email integration, email integration, calendar integration, calendar integration. But if you actually see how things work in the different um, apps or tools or software or whatever you want to call it, um, you'll see that in, we go about it in a totally different way. Like Salesflare is built from the ground up to be an automated system to uh, give you automated data input and, and then um, also allow you to uh, edit it manually so you keep control um, while the other systems come from a from a from a history of uh, being manual systems and then they started like sinking in some stuff um, which means that inherently there's still manual systems which automate some stuff but using the software still uh, relies on assumptions that come from the manual data input worlds if you know what I mean. So yeah, it hasn't yeah. been rethought, which makes that while on the surface, it might seem similar uh, in the end, when you're using it, it's completely different. Yeah. I always, you know, I always kind of scratch my head, especially as a, as a frontline seller myself, when I realize how much of my time goes into re-entering. So we, we use Salesforce full disclosure at, at my current company yeah. and so much of my time goes into just manual updates and inputting information that, like you said, already exists out there. It's in my calendar. It's in my email inbox. Uh, it's, you know, maybe in some cases, even in a spreadsheet or something like that, like there's just so mm-hmm. many other inputs for the data. Why do I have to go re-enter that data uh, and spend, you know, I, I don't even know if I want to quantify how many hours a week just doing clerical things that I should be spending that time getting in front of customers, picking up the phone, uh, following up on, uh, you know, next steps and things like that yet, uh, just so much of, of using some of those legacy CRM systems and even some of the newer ones is, is very manual in terms of the, the data side of things. So that's really interesting. And, uh, I definitely love what you guys are doing with the, the product to make it a little bit lighter weight from a, from a clerical and admin standpoint for sellers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just that, it's not just that it's, it's just more lightweight, uh, I mean, that's, that's nice. Uh, I mean, we all have to do less work. Yay. It helps us more. Yay. <laughs> uh, but, but, but the, the, the real, I mean, reality is that um, if in a manual system, 
um, you are not putting in the data in a very consistent way. Right. Um, and it's complete, it's well done, it has every single detail in there, which a computer can very easily do, but for you, it, it takes some sort of uh, uh, commitment, which most people don't have, or mm -hmm. almost anybody. Uh, and if you don't do that, then the system starts falling apart. And that means that, well, you might have, the first symptom is leads uh, slipping through the cracks. Um, it's very hard to uh, replace someone when they're sick, like like mm -hmm. pick up where they left off. Right. When they leave, it's even worse. Like you have to, to start uh, all the way from scratch because yeah. you have no idea what they discussed or which customers or, you know, it's a, it's a huge mess. Um, it's very hard to make forecasts. Um, mm -hmm. It's you, you have all, all these kind of mistakes where we're marketing or customer service or whoever you're, you're, you're collaborating with. They look at the data and they see a certain thing, but in reality, it's not like that because it just wasn't put in and all kinds of uh, collaboration mistakes happen. Um, and those are all things that when, when you guys implemented Salesforce or anybody implements a CRM, you planned on solving, but you haven't solved because it's, it just isn't, um, isn't filled out or used as expected and the expectations to be fair are, are yeah. really high. Um, like you buy the software and the software expects you to be extremely committed and that's just not realistic. Right. Right. I want to shift gears back to, you made a, a pretty, it seems like a pretty sharp transition from being in the product and then later marketing world. And then ultimately you're, you're now in a seat where you're selling uh, accounts. Tell us about some of the things. And, and actually right before the, the call today, you shared a blog post that you put together. And I wish I would have uh, seen this earlier. Apologies. I didn't look over this, but it's got some really great stuff in here. Uh, so it sounds like you've, you know, in, in that process of transitioning from a product to, to marketing, then to sales facing role, uh, have developed a couple of really great tactics for how to streamline your success. Tell us about what that transition was like and, and what, you know, maybe tip, tips or tricks you can share that helped you accelerate your, your knowledge of selling and, and closing deals and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I first experienced uh, selling, uh, well, when I was a teenager and stuff, but, but really like serious selling was when I was working at that marketing consultancy. Um, I was an account manager and uh, I, I could really do basic selling in the sense that I'd go to a customer, I'd find out what sort of issue they had or what they wanted to do. Um, then we figured out the best way to do it. I would scope out the amount of work that was needed, what had to be done, how long it was going to take, what is what it was going to cost i made a proposal uh you know wrote that all out sure got it back to them uh discovered things you know the, the whole thing which is often lost when um when you're selling products but because i think it, it's it's very valuable experience mm -hmm. to to have this sort of service experience and take it into products because what, yeah. what, what what most often happens is that when you sell a SaaS product you just think like, okay, this is one SaaS product. It's the same for everyone. And everyone wants the same. The, the first part is true. It's the same right. SaaS product. 
but not everybody wants the same. Like mm -hmm. people get your software for different reasons. Um, plus, and especially with a CRM for instance, in our case, people can use it in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And discovering that is essential to selling the product, but it's also essential to uh, improving the product. Um, and in, in very early stages, I, I, I honestly did everything from uh, finding leads to doing demos, to putting them on the software, connecting their emails, uh, showing them around, setting some stuff up together with them, supporting them afterwards, the whole thing, very, very manual. Um, but if I would start all over again, I would do that all over again because that was so valuable for me to yeah. to get to know everything, for us to know what to build, uh, for us to close actually a maximum amount of deals also because in the beginning, you don't get a lot of leads, so you better close yeah. uh, a maximum a of them. Yep. Yeah. Actually, when we when we um, when we turned our um, request a trial here if when we turn it into um just start a trial here our conversion rate massively dropped um oh, but of course we we got we got way more people on the trial so it sort of uh evens out of it course evens out. yeah yeah unless you haven't figured out how an onboarding should work through that manual process um because your onboarding needs to be good to still have a decent conversion rate after you turn on the, the trial, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, cur I'm curious, I'm looking at your pricing and, and things like that on the page. Uh, from a business standpoint at Salesflare, are you guys, uh, you know, hoping to continue kind of going upstream into more enterprise size customers? Uh, or are you hoping to, to sort of go downstream and continue to dominate in the smaller businesses or, or maybe a little bit of both? Uh, I, those don't have to be mutually exclusive, but I'm kind of curious what, uh, as you guys grow and scale your sales organization, uh, what types of deals and size of deals are you guys hoping to, to attain more of? Yeah, well, we are focused on small and medium-sized businesses. And I, I honestly don't think we'll do a lot of enterprise unless uh, these enterprises are parts of those think as a small or medium-sized business that happens. We have customers like that. Um, the thing is, uh, from a certain level, if a, when an enterprise really um, implements a CRM system, it's not so much about the end users anymore and whether the software is practical and works well and solves their issues. It's really about solving the issues on the organizational level. Um, so you need a totally different type of software uh, in which you can basically build your own thing if you just hire enough consultants. Um, and then you end up with something like Salesforce. Um, so that's not our space. That's not our focus. Um, but we definitely want to do more um, medium-sized deals. It's uh, actually uh, medium-sized customers require uh, just about the same amount of work as when you onboard one user. Uh, in many cases and yeah. uh, you earn way more they stay way longer uh so it's um on a on a on a business level uh there's no um there's no doubt that that onboarding more medium-sized customers is better yeah it's funny i manage uh, a book of existing customers in my current role and the the sort of quote unquote medium-sized customers are my favorite ones uh because they can they can use our product well enough on their own 
and they don't mm -hmm. need, you know, the smaller customers, they need a lot of handholding They're, you know, in their minds, they're making a significant investment in something. So they're going to obviously demand the time and output, you know, they're, they're going to demand as much as many resources as they can get. And then on the other side, I've got a couple of really large scale customers that are, you know, would be considered enterprise, uh, you know, mm -hmm. higher ticket, larger contracts and, and just larger and more complex relationships. And those also take a lot of time because there's a lot of moving parts. They've made a yeah. sizable investment. Uh, there's lots of different orgs and stakeholders and there's, you know, meetings and they want a customized implementation of the software. And so I think you're, you're right that the medium sized ones are, are that sweet spot where they're big enough that the ARR is valuable for the company, uh, but they're not so big that they're going to demand all of these customizations and right. unique implementation requirements and things like that. So that's, uh, you know, fantastic. And it sounds like you guys have sort of carved out where your uh, sweet spot is. Yeah, no, that sounds absolutely correct. Like the, the medium sized ones are the ones that are all nice to us. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> so right now, how are you? Uh, how are you generating pipeline and capturing more customers? I know on your site you've got a, a, a trial option. Uh, are you guys? It sounds like you're probably doing a lot of different demand gen. Do you do any outbounding in your current role, or do you have someone in place at the company that does uh, cold calling or, or kind of cold outbound type generation activities? No, currently zero of that. Uh, we get everything inbound. Um, we found so far but we never uh, decide that this is the only way but uh, so far it seems that people look for crms at specific moments mm -hmm. and don't necessarily feel like switching at any other moment um so we try to capture as many uh, people as possible that are looking at that moment and that happens but like that people have a few ways of going about this one is asking other people uh, so we get a lot of word of mouth um, secondly it's um, googling and checking review sites we go get quite mm -hmm. some traffic from that and then we also um, like to our point a bit earlier like people use software for lots of different reasons Right. Um, some of our best content marketing is articles that uh, focus on a specific way or a specific use case for Salesflare, uh, where we show Salesflare a bit. Uh, those are the best, at least lead generating uh, articles we have, which is our, our third um, channel is, uh, is content marketing. That's great. Yeah, you guys are getting so much that's that's coming inbound. And I think more and more, and, and I'm sure you, you guys have seen this as well, but as I get more into this profession. And back when I started in 2012, it was pretty heavy. The roles I had were pretty heavy outbounding. It was, you know, here's a list of people to call, uh, start sending some cold emails. And this is even before LinkedIn was kind of widely, widely adopted as a channel for prospecting. And then as I've gone on more and more, the companies I've been at have adopted more of a content strategy and a, you know, demand generation where, where there's inbound leads and the, the focus is on, you know, facilitating a purchase instead of trying to convince somebody, and I shouldn't use the word convince, but instead of reaching out cold and trying to persuade somebody to first take a discovery call uh, and evaluate your product out of the blue. Uh, so I, I definitely like it now, knowing that most of the people I work with that are evaluating our solution 
already have some familiarity. There's already a project that they're working on that's relevant. Uh, they've, they're already evaluating our competitors, which is, you know, both can both be uh, nerve wracking, but, but also exciting. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, you've got a chance to, to win against the competition. Um, but it's definitely much easier than how I used to do things earlier on at some of the companies I was at, where it was pick up the phone, call someone out of the blue, uh, mm-hmm. try to get them interested in what you're selling, uh, even though they've maybe never heard of you or have no interest in, in a project that's related to, to the solution I was selling, uh, just to try to pick up the phone and persuade them to take time out of their day to, to learn about the product and then slowly try to nurture them through. It's been nice uh, with this content model. And it, it just seems like most SaaS companies at this point are on that train where you've got to have a really good demand generation model in place so that you get enough inbound leads that are warm enough that, uh, you know, it makes sense. Uh, it's, it makes the best use of the reps time, uh, mm-hmm. to manage those through the funnel. I am curious though, uh, you know, once someone comes to your site and maybe requests a, a trial or a demo, do you guys do a, like a discovery call and then maybe a, a, a separate demo call later on and then a pricing call later? Or do you guys try to consolidate those all into one conversation where you give an overview demo the product and then, you know, hope to close the deal or or pretty quickly get pricing in front of somebody so they can make a decision. They they can just see pricing on the side. So we, we, we cannot afford not uh, doing that. So there's no pricing discussion or call or so needed. Um, We have a book a demo uh, button on the side uh, since two months ago. Um, we added that just to test what it would do so far. It, it looks like the results are good. Uh, so we have one now on the homepage and on the, the pricing page. Uh, it depends a bit on what people, um, how they want to engage with us. We don't require them to go through any process. Um, if people want to book a demo first and see the software, that's fine. If people, um, try the software, uh, then book a demo or try the software and then uh, as, as they are about to decide when to talk to us or afterwards they want some, it, it, it all doesn't matter to us. We will be mm-hmm. there along the way. Uh, sure. People buy many different ways. It's usually, um, we try to be helpful. So we try to figure out together with people whether Salesforce is what they need. And if so, um, how Salesforce can, um, fill their needs, how it can help them in the best possible way. So we help them get set up and all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest just goes from there. Um, we don't, I mean, they know the pricing. They sometimes ask and I'm like, it's on the pricing page, but uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. What are some, I'm curious what some common objections you guys get are from, from customers or prospects. Uh, and then how do you guys overcome those? Uh, good question. Common objections. Yeah, so we don't we don't really try to sell to anyone who isn't already convinced they need something. So that's sure. why I don't think we get a lot of objections really. That's good. Um, and that kind of goes back to the the demand model where you've got leads coming in for the most part. You, you probably have folks that are evaluating something and looking to make a decision on a CRM or a, a you know a, a sales enablement tool, uh, not trying to convince somebody cold to to look at this yeah. or rip and replace so so you don't really need to deal with objections per se i think it's it's more about um 
making sure that what it is they're looking for, that this is matched or not matched. And if, if it's not, then point them somewhere else. Um, that's the main exercise. And then helping them be successful, um, which, which you, you can, of course, count outside of sales, but it, it all flows over uh, from the one into the other. It's actually at Salesforce, it's, it's the same person taking care of this. Uh, so. Awesome. In, uh, in reading your, your, your blog post here, uh, you have a whole point on focusing on onboarding. What are some things that, uh, you know, sales reps can do to improve their onboarding experience, maximize that time to come up to speed on a product or a process and ultimately ramp faster and find more success out of the gates? Yeah, I, I think most of the most of the uh, work there is, is is not for sales reps. Probably it's uh, it's good that the, the product uh, team uh, <laughs> makes the onboarding easier. That's ideal. Uh, but then next to that, there are things that uh, will always stay to, with with sales reps to a certain extent. Um, I think, for instance, training and training. Um, I often have to stress this, um, but. Training goes beyond explaining the software and how it can be used. It's also about figuring out together with the customer what it is they need and how they probably should use the product because products can can often be used in many different ways. Um, and if they don't decide how they're going to use it, especially if they're working together with a, with a team, mm-hmm. then they're going to be way less successful. Like imagine a team uh, they just know all know how uh, how the software works, but all of them sort of decide to use the software in a different way. Uh, then it becomes very hard to collaborate with each other, or at some point to even extract insights. Um, so that's something that is often overlooked that you can't uh, overlook. Then there's mm-hmm. it's figuring out the, all the different barriers that people have where where they might give up. Uh, and try to make this as frictionless as possible. So if people need help with uh, with data imports or integrations that are probably uh, then help them with that. Um, and then it's it's really about opening up that relationship, um, making sure that uh, people trust you. That's something you need to build, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. It's by being helpful rather than salesy. Um, you'll you'll see that people open up and whenever they have an issue along the way they're like okay i know i can uh, rely on salesperson or on the company uh to to fix what it is that i that i need um Mm -hmm. and that's that's really invaluable that brings me to a, a really good question that I had for you. Uh, a lot of my listeners sell to more technical or even operational roles. And I know sometimes those, those types of, of uh, personas in a business, they don't, they don't want to deal with a sales rep. They don't want to feel like they're, they're getting sold a used car uh, or, or something <laughs> like that. They, they want to they work with a consultant or a partner um, and you know, you kind of come from that world. So maybe it was a little bit easier for you to trans. It, it was probably pretty clear because it sounds like you've been doing proposals and, and sort of that more service side of things for a really long time. What are some things that, you know, a lot of my listeners might've started in a role where they had a manager or leadership that was very salesy and, and it's all about numbers and push and persuade. 
what are some things that my listeners can do to kind of reprogram a little bit and shift away from the, the used car sales to more of a solutions partnership consulting type sales? Yeah. What many companies do there is, um, is um, start this kind of role. It's called technical sales or solution sales, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody who comes from uh, a technical background and um, does sales. That's a, a, a common way of solving it. But you, what you can also do is if your your salesperson understands most of it, but is not fully technical, you can also um, basically make the developers very available to that person to solve whatever uh technical question they have so what we do for instance is uh, we have a role called support hero and that means that there's always one of the developers standby to help with any technical question or figure out any technical issue or whatever that customers have at that very moment um and they're right next to the person who's 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 talking to the customers at that moment and that really helps as well Uh, so you don't necessarily need someone technical then taking care of your sales or support. I like that a lot. And I, I do that quite a bit in my current role. I'll bring in, you know, I, I don't ever want to try to assume, and then this is something I learned early on selling to, to pretty technical buyers was as a, as a rep, I'm, I'm a facilitator, right? I'm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm someone who aligns resources that this prospect or, or potential customer needs to make a decision uh, to complete an evaluation. I, I've heard a lot of reps that have been in similar, you know, in similar roles will make assumptions about what their buyers do and what they know, especially on the technical side, that's a slippery slope. So I tend to just do my best at bringing in the right resources and knowing what those are internally. Uh, If I've got, you know, for example, I had someone ask just a couple of weeks ago for a conversation around our API. Uh, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm not an expert on APIs and I don't, you know, I don't intend to become one. And I certainly don't want my prospective buyers to be, you know, on a call with me, listening to me talk about APIs. Cause I don't know what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. uh, knowing who in, in the company to go to that can speak, uh, you know, to the customers about our, our open API and how to integrate other systems with ours and things like that uh, is really, you know, I think an important tip for sellers out there who are working with more technical or more advanced buyers uh, who really just want to be aligned with the right resource. They don't want, you know, any sort of, they don't want a sales pitch. <laughs> they don't want to yeah, be, yeah. Uh, they don't want to be stuck on a call with someone who doesn't know anything about APIs, trying to tell them about APIs. Cause that just kind of comes across as condescending. So I think your points are really valid, which are, uh, you know, really bring the right resources in. And if you're selling, you're again, just you're playing quarterback or you're playing sort of the facilitator of, of those resources that the company has. Uh, and it's not about at that point selling, but more about being an enabler and a, and a you know, someone who's going to help their business be successful and not just someone who's trying to close a deal and move on to the next one. No, that, that's actually a really good tip as well. I used to do that in my previous job also is just at any point when you feel like it's good to involve someone, just do that. A lot of people feel, uh, how can I say, uh, too proud to do that. And they think they have to solve everything, but it's not true. Mm-hmm. It's, it's often a very good idea. So um, like the, the biggest deal I sold in, in, in uh, that marketing consultancy, I just, I just figured that it's, I, I'm going to bring the CEO in and he will have mm-hmm. to do some of the work, uh, but at least then we, we, we sold a massive deal. And I, I wouldn't have ever been able to uh, sell it on my own and it was actually a part of the 
I think it was also uh, a data deal. And then I involved the data guy, you know, you just bring in the right people yeah. at the right time into the deal. And that just ups the credibility makes, makes the, the customer confident about your ability to, um, to uh, deliver. Um, so never hesitate to do that. I'd say. Absolutely. So tell us about the plans for, for growth for Salesflare. Uh, it's a new year. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys are going to be expanding the team and it sounds like you're adding customers pretty quickly. What does uh, 2021 look like for the team? Are you guys uh, doing a mass hiring? Are you building a sales team or is that still, uh, you know, to be determined? Uh, I'm curious to hear kind of what the, the growth strategy is for the year. Yeah. Uh, the, the sales team part is to be determined. We're definitely going to retry Outbound this year again. Uh, we're definitely putting more focus on getting uh, closer to the customer. Um, we always do that, but we, we, we plan to do an extra effort there. Uh, apart from that, it's mostly uh, working further on our marketing, um, upgrading our products, um, less on, on the sales side, I would say. That's interesting. So more on improving the, the offering and, you know, making it an, an offer that a, a, a prospective customer can't refuse versus investing too much in just the, the sales engine right now. Yeah, definitely. No, that seems like a, a great, a great model. Um, do you guys, uh, you know, I know you, it looks like you guys are based out of Belgium. Uh, do you guys mm -hmm. have a pretty heavy U.S. presence yet? Or how, what's the strategy for kind of getting into new, I guess, uh, foreign markets for you guys? We, uh, I think of our revenue, it's not even 10% in Belgium. Uh, and it's about, I think 40% or something in the U.S. and Canada. Um, and then we have a lot from the UK, from Australia, the Nordics, Germany, France, um, in general, I think 60 countries or more. Wow. Um, the only issue there really is, well, first it's language. We are mostly mm -hmm. strong in English spoken markets because we just offer our software in English now. Right. Um, and secondly, it's time zones. So it might be that we have to uh, get on early calls and late calls, uh, spanning all the way from <laughs> Australia to, uh, to San Francisco. Sure, um, yeah. But that's just uh, the reality nowadays, I would say. The, the, the main issue when you're remote selling is really time zones because all the rest doesn't matter. That's a good point too. I, I wanted to ask you about some tips and tricks for remote selling. Most of us now uh, with the, the, the current you know, situation with the coronavirus are, are all shifting to remote. And a lot of my listeners, that was probably a little bit of a, a surprise and, and unexpected. And they may, have went, mm -hmm. they may have gone from working in a big sales pit with 50 other reps or, or even 10 other reps. And then all of a sudden they're now home, maybe in a, in a house or apartment, trying to motivate themselves to, to pick up the phone and do the next follow-up. What are some things that you've done? And it sounds like you've got a lot of experience working remotely. Uh, and it sounds like you've built and scaled teams remotely. What are some things that a, a, an average rep can do to improve their, their remote selling skills and their, their situation? Yeah, I, in terms of motivation, what I would, uh, what I would say is uh, focus on uh, input, um, really keep your motivation up by looking at like, okay, you, you basically take your, what you need to achieve, which uh, is probably some kind of revenue target or something. 
Um, and then you break that down into, okay, if I want to win that many deals, how many deals do I need to create? How many qualified leads do I have? And right. how many qualified leads do I need? Do I need then on a monthly basis or on a weekly basis or, and then at least, you know, what you have to deliver every week or every month or even every day. Um, if, if you, if you even not for qualified leads probably, but if you say, okay, to get these qualified leads, I need to uh, place that many calls or send that many emails or whatever, uh, or have that many zoom calls. Um, and you could even, you could even get to a target on a, on a, on a daily basis. And then you just hit that target. And every time you hit it, you know, no matter whether this is a good day or a, a bad day or a good week or a bad week, if I just keep hitting this, I will hit my target or I'll overshoot it. Um, and then you can, you can derive pleasure from, um, seeing progress in that way instead of, um, like working towards this this huge goal for the year because it's very hard to stay motivated based on that mm -hmm. um and then next to that um something i figured a few months ago is like it's very easy to get this kind of zoom fatigue if you go from the one meeting into the other yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah but if you just take every conversation as a as a new customer to explore like like to understand deeply and uh, take some time for small talk, really make a connection. Um, I think you can get way more out of it uh, as a human being, <laughs> much more satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that, that doesn't only reflect on your motivation. It also reflects on the relationships you build yeah. with customers uh, and it will ultimately make you much more successful. So it's only a win-win just, it, it's just about figuring that it's not just all a bunch of calls. It's all, different people that are ready to meet you and that you can have a nice chat with uh just changing that perspective uh did it for me actually so uh first of all love both of those pieces of advice uh side note for my listeners on the topic of of you know the, your recommendation to sort of work backwards what's your ultimate outcome you're trying to achieve whether that's uh, a quota attainment or an earnings goal uh, i actually put together a spreadsheet that that i built when i first took the role that i'm in now that sort of worked backwards from and you can input it it's all customizable so you can input a quota in uh, you can put your commission rate in and then you can put in how many opportunities you need at an average deal size to to know how many you know basically how many ops you need to to close enough deals to achieve your number and achieve your earnings goal so if anybody wants that, reach out to me. I'll send that spreadsheet over so you can, uh, you know, use it in your own book of business and with your own quota and, and earnings. And uh, so I love that advice of being able to work backwards uh, to, to what the ultimate outcome is. And then your second piece of advice, I've also implemented myself too, which is you can get, it's really easy to get Zoom fatigue, especially right now. You're on, if you're on back-to-back -back calls, uh, whether that's internal or external meetings, and I love what you said about slowing things down and just taking time to really build the relationship. It's easy to just go through the motions when you're working remote and you're, you're dialing into Zooms multiple times a day. It's easy to just kind of get into like the same spiel uh, over and over again and repeat the same things over and over again and treat everybody the same. Don't fall into that trap. You're exactly right that you need to slow those down. 
spend some time on the front end building a relationship. And then something else that I've done uh, for anyone else out there who's wondering how they can uh, you know, kind of break up the monotony of Zoom calls is try to be your, you know, really be yourself on these calls. One of the, the cool things about, uh, you know, if there's a, a silver lining to all this working from home and, and being remote is that, uh, you know, your, your background in a Zoom call shows, you know, the room you're in and whatever room that is, you can kind of customize and tailor to, to who you are. And so, uh, uh, you know, your room, you might've seen, I have a guitar in the background, uh, of my mm-hmm. you know office here, and and I've got some other things that are nice conversation starters, and I really try to personalize uh, you know my my meetings and just really try to be myself. I'm in my house, uh, I'm in my home office, and I've got my you know things behind me, just like I would if I were at a desk in an office. Um, but uh, you know, spend some time actually trying to build a real relationship with prospects or customers versus just a you know some kind of Zoom relationship. And uh, you're exactly right that in doing that you're going to see uh, it gets easier to work with prospects and, you know, to, to build that trust that we talked about throughout this session today, uh, that trust that's really required to help them make the decision and help them, uh, you know, help to kind of earn the opportunity. So I love those pieces of advice. I think the, the last thing I'd love to ask you here is, uh, you, you know, you're obviously a really busy person. You're a co-founder of a company, you're selling deals. It sounds like you're working with the engineers on your team. Uh, I'm sure there's financial, uh, activities for the business that you have to take care of as well. Marketing, uh, you know, marketing activities, all kinds of different aspects of, of what you do. What are some tips you have for time management that might be applicable to, to sellers in, in managing their day and managing their calendar? Um, I would say um, what I prefer to do is is block off a certain certain parts of I mean <laughs> certain parts of my day to <laughs> uh, to have calls um, and batch them up so that it's not like I'm I'm doing some focus work here and then I have a call in between and then some focus work again that just doesn't work uh, right. it's very hard to shift uh, from the one type of work to the other. So I, I like to batch it up. So if you, for instance, have a, a calendar scheduler, you could uh, you could just say, okay, these hours are fine uh, to talk to customers, but in these hours, I focus on on writing proposals. Whatever it is you do, that's applicable. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's 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 actually the best thing to do and plan your day. Uh, if you do these two things, so what we do is we plan um in the growth team so on the business side we plan our on a bi-weekly basis so we plan what we're going to do on on, on in, in on that horizon let's say on the in the development team they do it every week um and then on a daily basis we have a stand-up meeting in which right. we say what we've done the, the the previous day and what we're going to go do that day which also sort of forces you to think through what you're going to do in a certain day Mm-hmm. Uh, which is good you build some consistency there and just knowing what you're going to do in a day just makes so much uh, difference because then <laughs> you know where to focus you know that's excellent yeah i uh, i do the same i try to I, and i fairly recently got into the habit of doing this really well which is planning out my week and then sort of truing up to those goals every single morning and i use a pretty rudimentary method for that which is just sticky pads and notes. Uh, and I try to write down the top three things that I need to accomplish in any given week. And then sometimes I break those out to, you know, if I get one thing done today, 
that's going to move my business forward? Uh, you know, what is that one thing and write that mm -hmm. down and just, just knock that out first. That's been one of the biggest things for me is I, I tend to be a procrastinator. So when I have a big proposal or a big email response or a cold call to make, or a, you know, a demo to prep for, sometimes I wait until the last possible second. And uh, what I've found is it's better to take the hardest thing you've got to do in the week or in a day and just knock that thing out first thing, uh, first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then once it's done, you're, you're like, Hey, I, I'm so accomplished. Now I can go move on to that next tough thing and just sort of work that way down the list. Um, so absolutely. I'm a big advocate of planning. Uh, I love the standups and I've done those before. Uh, my current company doesn't do daily standups, but we do, do, do a weekly, uh, standup to yeah. kind of recap the, the prior week. And, you know, for the listeners, even if you're at a company that doesn't do daily or weekly standups, you can still have your own sort of personal standup where you reflect on what you accomplished last, uh, yesterday or last week and what you hope to accomplish tomorrow or next week. So, uh, very good advice there. And, uh, you know, it sounds like you've, you've, you know, been able to manage a, a pretty crazy schedule, uh, by following those rules. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise it's, it's very hard. Uh, it just, just planning, blocking off stuff and, uh, and what you said, I think they called eat the frog or something. I think it was a book. Or <laughs> uh, is that a book uh, or yeah. Eat that frog it's called and and eating the frog is exactly what you say uh, tackle the the most difficult thing first um that's that's also really really good advice because otherwise you you keep procrastinating on that like you said just doing that makes you feel invincible for the rest of the day awesome well we're coming up here on about an hour uh so we're, we're probably about better to wrap i know you're a busy guy um how can my listeners get in touch with you if they want to connect on Salesflare, uh or they want to you know pick your brain on anything what's the best way to, to get in touch uh if you want to learn more about Salesflare, you can just head to salesflare.com and flare is f-l-a-r-e uh, you can read all about the software there. You can even see it without signing up right now. I think we have a, an experiment running uh, cool. that if you click, try it for free, you can see the software first and then you can uh, create an account by connecting your emails. You get a trial of anywhere between seven and 30 days. It's another uh, onboarding experiment that we have, uh, which, which is, is becoming a final thing um, because we've seen that uh, it's good to motivate people um to set up the software properly so we give more days on the trial when you set it up better like there's different steps you can take and then you get more days anyway um if you want to get in touch with me you can do that on uh, linkedin uh it's probably the best place but don't forget to add a personal message otherwise i have no way to distinguish you from all the spam i get on a daily basis um, if you add a personal message you will stand out at least if it's a thoughtful one and I'll definitely connect with you and we can have a chat. Awesome. Anything else uh, you'd like to share to the listeners uh, before we wrap up? No, not really. All right. Well, uh, Jeroen, thanks so much for, for being on the show today. Yeah, this was fun. <laughs>